for joining us today at Launch Point Church in Lebanon, Tennessee. We believe the Bible is the written word of God without error and useful for every part of our lives. We believe that through learning and teaching of the word, others might come to know God, find freedom, discover their purpose, and make a difference. Thanks again. All right. So last week we discussed um, Psalms 30. And I, I managed to work all the way through Psalms 30, which I was quite impressed with, I'll be honest with you, because I talk too much. Um, and there's just such beauty in a word. If I could encourage you guys in anything, read your word. You know, one of the things that Pastor Leonard, or the thing that Pastor Leonard talked to us about on Sunday was the beauty of the word, that it is our light, that when we plant ourselves according to it, we will bear fruit, that it's, just, it's a beautiful thing, man. Every comma, every quotation mark, every letter or word in red or any word inspired by the Holy Spirit, all of it is beautifully composed so that we can know that God loves us. Amen? And that not only that he loves us, but that he sacrificed everything for us. And so today I want to talk a little bit about that. I'm going to talk out of verse, out of Psalm 37. Uh, I am not, in the way that I talk, capable of covering the whole thing, uh, unless y'all want to be here till about 11. Um, but I am going to cover verse 1 through 6, because that's where he primarily focuses this message that he has of trust. But what is what is trust? It is a bold, secure confidence in something. We should have bold, secure confidence in God. Amen? We should be unshakable according to what is written in the Word. How many of you guys believe that the Word is true? And I, and I don't mean just peripherally like, eh, you know what, it's thin, but it's it's kind of true, mostly true. Um, it's it's absolutely true, inspired by the Spirit of God, according to the Word of God. It has to be perfect as God is perfect, or it couldn't be inspired by the Spirit. And so with that, we should read it and hold ourselves boldly, securely, and confidently as we pursue God in it, in our trust of Him. We should be an unshakable people. People are all, man, I, I don't know. I, you don't work where I work. You work in the church. It's easy. No. No, it ain't easy. I know the same people y'all know. I hang out with the same people that y'all know. I don't spend time in the office. I spend time in the marketplace. If you've, it'll, It's very rare that you'll call, catch me here because ain't nobody here during the week. Nobody needs to know the gospel during the week here. And if somebody does show up, that's, that's why Pastor Rick's here. <laughs> Amen. But we got to be where the people are and boldly, confidently, and securely stand on our trust of God and what the Word of God says. Amen. And we can because God is trustworthy. Let me read a couple of verses to you. Isaiah 26 4 says this Trust in the Lord forever. Everybody say forever. Do you know why we can trust in the Lord forever? Because he doesn't change according to the word. And so it says, trust in the Lord forever. For in God the Lord we have an everlasting 
rock. Because he is forever, he is unshakable, he is immovable, he is unchangeable, and because of that, we should be too. Lamentations 3, 22 and 23 says, The Lord's loving kindness never cease, for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your, capital Y, faithfulness. So he never ceases, he never fails, and his faithfulness endures forever. And his mercy is new every day. Man, let me tell you, that should inspire some confidence in us because the world changes every single day. There's a new absurdity every single day. And it's getting worse, and it's going to get worse until Jesus comes back. So we need to know what this word says so that when the world around us, cha- around us changes, we know that we don't have to, that in fact that we're obligated not to. Amen? So all that's beautiful, and it's true because it's the word of God, but where does trust come from? Trust comes from experience. Let me tell you. Y'all, if y'all didn't know this, I got two grandbabies. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I never talk about them, but when I just so you know, I have two grandbabies. The experience that my grandbabies have with me caused them to trust me. They know I'm not going to let harm come to them. My grandson will straight run across the couch and jump off of it with no fear. It doesn't matter if I'm across the room that I'm not going to catch him before he hits the ground. I mean, sometimes that means I have to take a diving slide to do it. There's no fear of him crawling up on my back when I'm on the floor and playing bull rider because he knows even if he falls off, I'm going to catch him before he hits the ground. He almost instinctively knows that he can trust me because of the experience that he's had in trusting me. Amen? My wife. I have trust in my wife because of the experience that we have. When we started the church, and some of you have heard me tell you this before, <clears throat> I was a wreck. <laughs> I'm not qualified for this. I'm not ready for this. God, this is what you've called me to do. So be it. We're going to do it. We're going to be faithful. But just know, God, since you called me, if it fails, it's your fault. <laughs> you know. And some of y'all here the first couple years suffered through that, and I appreciate it. <laughs> But let me tell you what my wife told me. The reason I trust, not the only reason, but a reason I trust her, and the reason I was able to walk into this piece of our life is because before we started the church, we were having a conversation one day, and just as serious as she could say it, she looked at me and she said, do whatever God called you to do, and I will not let you fail. And that means, that is meant for her Long days, late nights, listening to my whining and complaining, um, being my supporter and encourager and comforter. She's been that physical presence of trust for me. Amen? But we have a, a greater experience than that. We can trust God because we have experienced his grace in our life. The fact that we're able to sit in this room is a grace in our life. 
I came here today knowing that I'm going to be here Sunday unless Jesus takes me home, which is perfectly fine, because I trust that he's going to keep me and protect me. Because the experience is that he's always kept me and protected me. Since I confessed him at 34 years old as Lord, declaring it out of my mouth that he was risen, I've had no concern about that at all. Because he can be trusted. Amen? But the greater trust, although trust is born of experience, the greater trust is born of faith. Hebrews says this, the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Some of you with different versions read different things, but essentially this is what faith is. Being so confident, unshakable, and immovable about who God is that you hold in faith your trust in God so as so so strongly and so firmly that it's as though you already have evidence of your eternity in your hand. You know, how beautiful is that? More importantly, are we living that out loud? Do we hold our faith so tightly and allow it to create trust in us so magnificently that we have in our hearts, confirmed by the spirit we've been sealed with and understanding that this is all the evidence that I need that I'm going to be with him for eternity. I, I, I celebrate that trust comes from experience. I exult in the fact that trust comes from faith because faith is trust that rewards you. Let me read you something. I'll say that again because he, he says, ooh, say that, and I like that. Faith is the trust that rewards you. Genesis chapter 12. Let me read you something. One through four. Now the Lord said to Abram, go forth from your country and from your relatives and from your father's house to the land which I will show you. And I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great. And so you shall be a blessing, and I will bless those who bless you, and the ones who curse you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. That's all, that's, those are all future tense things. Those are will, 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 will. I will, 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 this, that, and the other thing. But what is the, ex, what is the expectation that God had of Abram? that he moved on faith, that his trust manifested itself in such a way that he moved in faith. Now, you're all thinking, that's not a big a deal, man. That's Abraham. Nope, that's Abram. That's the guy that was a false idol worshiper that lived in a city of false idol worshipers who God determined to reveal himself to. And even though that's not his tradition, that's not what he grew up in, he was obedient in the face of everybody standing and opposed to him, I'm sure, and said, okay, I'll do that. And you know what God did? He rewarded that faith. The Bible says that he rewarded it and counted it as towards his righteousness. That's the reason to have Trust, because he rewards trust, and he's trustworthy.
Amen. So, on to this text. Psalms 37. Let me give you a little context before we get started, just because it's important you know who's talking to you and why they're talking to you in the first place. This is a, according to the text, a Psalm of David. The Psalm is written on the foundation of God's covenant to Israel to give them the land that they are currently standing on when this is written. God owned the land as he owns all land because everything belongs to him. And so, but God deals with us according to our trust and according to our faith. He told Israel, if Israel obeyed, he would give them the land and they would enjoy it. If they obeyed, if they disobeyed, there would be famine and plague and pestilence and all these kinds of things. If they continued in their disobedience, they would be removed from the land, which they ultimately were by Babylon and, and struggled through all of that stuff. Let me tell you, that's the, if you're ever wondering if God's trying to talk to you, he's going to work out that in your life. If you were obedient, you're going to be blessed. If you lack obedience, you're going to struggle. And if you continue in rebellious disobedience, he's going to remove his hand from you. Be cautious. Be wary. And trust God. Amen? And so David took a long view of this situation. This whole thing is talking about verses 1 through 6. Essentially, everybody's getting by except for me. All the wicked prevail. All the wicked are prospering. It's not the only psalm similar to this that David or someone else wrote. But essentially, that's what he's dealing with. But David, in this psalm, determines to take the, the wide-angle view of his situation and say, listen, if we'll just be obedient, if we'll just trust the Lord, it doesn't matter what other people are doing. It doesn't matter what other people are getting away with. It doesn't matter how other people appear to be prospering. Do you hear me? We don't chase prosperity. We chase God, and everything is, is given to us according to God's standard of righteousness. Amen? People are all, man, I need this, and I need this. And what you need is a relationship that trusts in the Lord. And if we could just get a hold of that, we'd be a whole lot better off. All right. And so we should do the same thing. Let me read this, this these six verses I'm going to attempt to teach out of. I've, I've gotten a little verbose just in my stuff here. So, do not fret because of evildoers. All these people getting it better than I got it. Do not be envious towards wrongdoers, for they will wither quickly like the grass and fade like the green herb. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and cultivate faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust also in him, and he will do it. Everybody say, he will do it. He will bring forth your righteousness as the light and your judgment as the noonday. Let me start in the first three verses. Those who trust in the Lord cultivate faithfulness. Before David commands them or tells them or sings to them, to dwell in the land and cultivate faithfulness, he gives two directives to them. He said, do not fret 
because of evildoers, and don't be envious about them. Do not fret means don't be angry. When we fret, we agonize. When we agonize, we get angry. But let me tell you, don't fret what other people are doing. Worry about yourself because God's got you. David was telling them, don't agonize over your enemies when they prosper. The world is the world's only reward is right now. He continues by saying that they're going to dry up and wither away. But we, you, have the hope for eternity. Amen? I love this. In Luke 16, 25, we see that a, a semblance of this. It says, but Abraham said, child, remember that during your life you receive good things. And likewise, Lazarus, bad things. But now he is being comforted here. You are in agony. So this is what's happening. There's a rich man. It's the story of the rich man and Lazarus. Lazarus was poor while he was on earth. And the rich man overflowed with abundance. Um, Lazarus is in the bosom of Abraham, which is a whole other teaching. Let's just say he's in his comfort place. He's being... But he's being prospered in eternity until Jesus comes and receives him home. But he's in Abraham's bosom, but the rich man is in agony already in hell. And the rich man calls out to Lazarus, or calls out to Abraham and says, Abraham, help me. And Abraham says, Listen, bro, you had your comfort, and you didn't take advantage of who you are and who you belong to, and this is the result. Lazarus, even though he had very little, even though he struggled, even though he suffered, he's forever in eternity now. That's why we don't fret, because we trust that at some point our eternity is going to look better than their present. But he says, too, don't be envious. Envious means something completely different. It means it means don't be don't be covetous. Well, there's two reasons why we shouldn't be envious, why we shouldn't desire the life of or the yeah, the life of someone else. Because when we do that, it causes us to covet. This is what the Bible says about that. For in six days the Lord made, I'm sorry, but the set, I'm still looking at the wrong place. Nope, I'm good. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that belongs to your neighbor. So what are we supposed to not to covet? Anything. And when I'm envious of you, and if you were honest, there were people that you looked at and you were envious of them. You desired what they had. And you might have even gone as far as to fantasize about how would I get what they've got? And then that causes us to sin. One, because we lack the trust in the provision of God for the things that we need and desire more for ourselves than God is ready to, to give us but we end up desiring it to the point that we get ourselves in trouble by saying, I want this. And let me tell you, it's a matter of time 
before you do what is necessary to get that, which means compromising your faith, compromising your convictions, compromising your character, whatever it is you need to compromise. This is the end goal. I've set my heart to it, and because I've set my heart to it, everything else will be destroyed. He says, don't envy them. Don't be or don't fret over them. Don't be anxious over them. And secondly, fretting leads to anger. It's not that the believer shouldn't be angry. You guys ever see somebody, and when you saw them, you looked at them and said, mm, man, I want that so bad. And then you get mad that you don't have it. I'm the only one. Liars. So we get fussy, angry, which is fine. I don't mind anger. God doesn't mind anger. The Bible says be angry, but what? What does that mean? Are y'all capable of being angry and not sinning at the same time? You sure are. Otherwise, you, you wouldn't have been told. Or James, I think, wouldn't have told you. Be angry, but sin not. How can I be righteously angry? I'm righteously angry the way that Jesus was righteously angry. He was angry when the glory of God was diminished and took action necessary to establish or reestablish the glory of God. But let me tell you, when he flipped tables, when he talked crazy to the Pharisees, he had no hatred or malice or, or anything towards the people that were doing it. He just wasn't having his God, his Father, our God, subject to their ignorance and blasphemy. And so, but when we are anxious, we desire, and when we desire and don't get, we get angry, and when we get angry, we end up sinning. So let me tell you, like David tells you, don't be anxious. Don't fret over what your buddy has or what the guy next door has or what somebody else has across town. What God has given you, what he has provided you with, is enough to trust him because that's what he's trusted you with. I would destroy myself. I'm confident. Like I, well, yeah, no, I'm confident. If I won $126 million or something in the lottery, man, I'd start good. I'm sure I'd start good. But I don't know that I can be trusted with that kind of money. You know who knows if I can be trusted with that kind of money? God. And with the exception of the fact I, I don't buy lottery tickets, that may be the reason I haven't won a lottery. I figure buy one or don't buy one, your odds of winning about the same anyway. So he tells them, don't fret, don't be anxious, but do what? Cultivate faithfulness. Worry about where you are right now. To cultivate is to till the soil, to plant the seed, to water it, to make sure it's everything that it should be. Cultivate your faith. Increase in your faith. Let your faith produce fruit. Stand on the ground that you've been given and worry about your own seed because God is more than enough to take care of the seed that he has given you to ensure, according to the word, as we reside in that vine, we will bear fruit. Amen? Cultivate faithfulness. I think that's so good. When the Israel, How do we cultivate faithfulness? That's the question. 
Because I can tell you, cultivate faithfulness, but don't tell you how. I'm not done you any good. Can I be a broken record for a minute? Read your word. Faith comes by what? What? Say it one more time for the people in the back. By hearing. But not just hearing anything. By hearing what? The word of God. Amen. Somebody get excited about that. Because that's how your faith is built. You want to cultivate faith in your life, the confidence to know that you can trust God, the evidence that you hold in your hand, hear, listen to, study, meditate on the Word of God. Let me tell you, there's a story in 2 Kings chapter 22, and then it's also in Nehemiah 8 and 9. I'm not going to read that to you because I don't have time to read three chapters. But essentially, this is what happens. Israel lost its faithfulness. And somehow, the temple became a storage facility. And when they got the new king, when the king who really cared about the temple came, and his name slips me right now, he had them clean out the temple. And in the temple, you know what they found? They found the law. They found the word of God. It was like, it's like it had been sitting in the backseat of their car for a week. Y'all know what I'm talking about. Well, you know what he did, though? He didn't just say put it back there in the back room. He read it, and he read all of it, and he was convicted and confessed his sin before the Lord. And then you know what he did? Then he had the high priest read it and read it over all the people. And it says that the, all the people were convicted by the word of God. Their faith was built, and they committed themselves to trust the Lord in all things. You want to cultivate faithfulness in your life? You better get in your word because ain't nothing else going to do it. You're all oh, I cultivate faithfulness by the Spirit. You know what this is? This is the Spirit. This is the Word. This is Christ Jesus. This is God and his faithfulness. His grand narrative of his salvation of us by the atonement of his son, Jesus Christ. You want to build your faithfulness to know that God can hold you comfortably? First, build your faith in the fact that God holds you at all. Cultivate faithfulness. And then he says this. I could go on and on about that, but I won't. Then he says this in verse 4, Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Y'all know how I feel about this verse, man. This verse makes me mad. I love talking about this verse. And this is why. Because we in our prosperity message only remember half of it. How many times I've heard people quote out of their own mouth, and he'll give me the desires of my heart. Well, that's great. What are the desires of your heart? Because let me tell you, if you don't first delight yourself in the Lord, the desires of your heart are wrong. And so you can't trust that he's going to give you the desires of your heart until your heart is aligned with his heart. And the more that I chase after him, the more that I pursue him, the more that I build my trust and my faith in him, the more I begin to delight in him. And now because... Through the word of God, my, my mind, my heart, my spirit has been conformed into the image of Christ. I can know that my desires 
are godly. And why wouldn't God give me the desires that would cause me to be more Christ-like? Amen? But until we do that, our heart can't be trusted. I'll give you the desires of your heart. The Bible says this about your heart. It says, the heart is more deceitful than all else and desperately sick. That's Jeremiah 17, 9. And then it asks the question at the end of that verse, who can understand it? The answer is no one. No one can understand it except for the God who created it. Amen? And so what is our responsibility? To stand on the word of God, to have confidence in him, to trust that his desires, his intent, his will for us is good. And in that, allow that to transform, conform us so that ultimately we may be, we may be full of the same desires that he has for us. How awesome would that be? How many of y'all would love to think every time I went before the altar of God, the throne room of God, I know he's going to give me what I asked for. How many of y'all would love that? Do you know that you can actually do that? Provided your heart's conformed and that you delight in the Lord. Because why wouldn't he give you the desires of his heart for you? Prosperity people got it all messed up. Name it, claim it, don't work with a sovereign king. Declare the name of Jesus. Walk in the trust of the Lord by the word of God. And he'll give you all you need. Amen. Finally, he says, those who trust, or I'll tell you, those who trust in the Lord expect righteous judgment. Five and six says, commit your way to the Lord. Trust also in him and he will do it. What will he do? He will give you the desires of your heart and he'll take care of your enemy. You don't have to worry about any of that other stuff. Church, can we, can we just set it down? Give it to God and say, I'm going to trust you with whatever this situation is, whatever this uncomfortability is, uncomfortability is, whatever this resentment is or bitterness or whatever it is I'm carrying. Lord, I trust you enough that you're going to judge righteously because he will. But let me tell you, and I don't know that we're ready for this, but ultimately when he judges us, or when he judges righteously, one of two things will happen. First, God will take care of whoever is vexing you, whoever's creating problems in your life. Psalm 44, 7, but you have saved us from our adversaries. You have been put to you have put to shame those who hate us. Well, let me tell you, never go to the word of God or the throne room of God and don't expect reproof. Expect correction because it might be that you go before the Lord asking for righteous judgment and he gives it to you. Maybe, just maybe, the problem that you you're find yourself in the middle of, the conflict that you're involved in, is a result of the fruit that you're bearing, not the fruit that they're bearing. 
One of my prayers is, Lord, as I read your word, let your word read me. Because what I think is a problem may be a problem. But it also may be that I'm the problem. But either way, God is righteous. And his judgment is perfect. So are you ready? Are you ready to trust God? Can you trust God? When do you trust God? All these questions we should be asking ourselves. But let me tell you, don't ask yourself these questions if you aren't willing to get in your word. Everything I've ever told you guys about, though I'm not, a, I'm not typically a topical preacher, which means I don't jump all over my Bible. I don't, I'm not saying anything's necessarily wrong with that. Some people are gifted at that. I'm an exegetical preacher, which means I go verse by verse and explain or try to. Do you know why? Because I want to make sure that what I'm telling you first is in context. And two, so that whatever I tell you is of the word. Because it's by the word. Our trust is built. Literally everything I've ever told you about anything found its genesis, its foundation, and its ending in the word of God. I try to elaborate very little on the word. I let the word speak for itself. As the old saying goes, you don't have to defend the lion. Unchain the lion. Let it defend itself. Amen? And a word is a lion if you'll let it be. And it'll build trust in you. If you'll let it. Amen?